maximize every opportunity so that you can become you legendary. Become legendary. What adjustments can you make right now to make yourself one percent better? Your only goal is to be the best version of you. Kate, welcome to Becoming Legendary. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? So lovely. Thank you for asking. (laughs) Um, Can you do us the favor of just giving us the brief introduction of who you are? Oh, goodness. Sure. (laughs) Brief introduction. (laughs) I think it's easiest to always start with like a professional intro for some reason. I don't know why I'm always more comfortable in that, but I'm a somatic practitioner in trauma recovery and mental health. So I use yoga therapy, breath therapy, energy medicine, spiritual guidance to help people overcome uh, trauma and complex PTSD. And aside from that, mother, wife, forever student, um, lover of all things nature, um, believer in Christ, and really centering my life in faith is my foundation for everything. Probably the shortest version. <laughs> I was going to say there's a lot version. more to that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a beautiful intro. Thanks. I'm, I'm going to jump right to it, Patrick. Okay. That's, if that's I'm okay. Not surprised, yeah. Brian. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've been doing a lot of research on you, particularly, and I mean, I've had a lot of a lot of personal experience with you. I've I've been been blessed to receive many of your teachings, whether it be in. Um, you know, a, a, a class in Southwest Institute of Healing Arts, whether it be a yoga nidra pack practice, or whether it be having the honor of sitting next to you um, while you led um, a group of soon-to-be yoga teacher training through a pandemic, I might add, right? Mm-hmm. But in, in research and doing a lot of research, one word has really stuck out to me, and I want to just dive into it with this word. So, so how do you remember your wholeness because i feel like because i feel like being whole is something that a lot of people don't necessarily talk about maybe mm-hmm. they internally strive for that wholeness that peace but i'm going to turn it over to you how do you remember your kate ships wholeness such a good question especially coming out of being ill this past 10 days, right? If there's something that really pulls us out of feeling whole, I think illness is one of them, mm-hmm. one of those things. And for me, wholeness has been a journey of understanding the, to stop denying my humanity and to mm-hmm. embrace the totality of it. Wow. And so helping me remember my wholeness is really allowing me to kind of huddle around all parts of myself from a place of compassion and love instead of abandonment, betrayal, um, denial, and understanding that in, in my faith, each part of us is so intentional to be here. And that when we come from that place of wholeness, every aspect of myself has a rightful place within that. And it's so easy throughout the day to kind of ebb and flow in and out of it. And one of my very grounding practices is getting into my breath every single day, Mm. because that breath practice to me reminds me of the totality of who we are. And much, you you know, through me, I love ocean metaphors. 
Mm. And the ocean being just this amazing vastness that can hold every kind of wave imaginable at different times. Mm. So one end of the ocean might be really calm. And then across the world, it's a tsunami Mm. and it can hold all of it. And we have that same capacity. So when I am struggling, I'll really anchor into my breath and I'll just remember the vast potential that's there beyond kind of these vacillations that are happening in my mind, in my emotions, within my own spirit. That's a heck of an answer. What specific breath practice do you rely on? We've had a lot of guests on here who specialize in specific breath techniques, whether it be the Wim Hof method or mm-hmm. um, we had Steven Jaggers on here. He, he's coined the somatic breath release. Uh-huh. Um, he's also a student of, or an ex-student of Southwest Institute of Healing Arts. So, so out of curiosity, is there really a specific one that you dial in? That you there can, is. Yeah. So I was blessed a few years ago to train in integral breath therapy as continuing ed for my yoga therapy hours. And the, the, it's a two-part breath technique, but the first part is really what I focus on in my own life all the time and with clients, no matter what stage of healing they're in. The second part is more advanced and more for a therapeutic release. Sounds similar to like that somatic release probably, yeah. but it's circular breathing. And the idea being that our energy moves from earth up to crown and crown back down to the earth. And it's flowing through us similar to like just a matrix of energy moving in our system always. And when that gets clogged, then we get stagnant and eventually that can show up in mental, emotional, physical, spiritual diseases. So the circular breath for me is taking that energy of the earth and bringing it up and through. And then just like that ocean wave, it crests and it returns back from where it came. And so it's a very full inhale, but it's a passive exhale. And that passive exhale, inducing that relaxation response within my nervous system. And I've done this enough over three years that I can do this breath a few times and my body remembers the rhythm. Mm -hmm. And the rhythm of that breath is so important in trauma healing because we're trying to realign our system with a new way of being. So we need new rhythms in life instead of this frenetic energy that I, I, we, I was always operating under for decades. That makes a lot of sense. Circular breath pattern is something that I think it, it's almost like a, (sighs) yeah. And there's no pause at the bottom or top. So, you know, there's that it's rhythmic in that it's not, it's never ending. Right. And ideally our breath, we want it never ending different than some yogic breath practices where we have retention of breath for various reasons. The, and the idea of the circular breath is we're constantly keeping a stream of consciousness and energy moving through us. And it's always there. I think I've heard one time that when the breath stops, the mind stops, right? So, so there's, so there's gotta be some sort of continuality there that, that brings you, brings you back to homeostasis. Yeah, and if we really... think about the, the breath as the giver of life within us, and when we are someone who's had a lot of unfortunate experiences, I mean, who hasn't, um, that we hold our breath. And normally we held our breath in those moments when those painful things were happening. So every time we're holding our breath, we're reaffirming for our nervous system that something painful is happening again. And so keeping the breath flowing, we're actually retraining our nervous system for health and wholeness. Interesting. Interesting. 
health and wholeness is is something we're all striving for. All, <laughs> That's all the time. All the time. Every <laughs> every the time. every single day. Mm-hmm. On that topic, Kate, um, I want to circle back to something you started out with, which was that illness is kind of an entryway or doorway into not feeling wholeness. Can mm-hmm. can you can you extract that out for me so I can understand? I I have found that when if I'm in a really a really clear rational state and then I start getting ill, immediately my nervous system will activate. And the whether it's a viral, whether it's just allergies or whatever it might be, it has an effect on my nervous system's ability to stay in a harmonious place. And so that that little bit of change starts affecting my ability to rest into wholeness more often. And it takes more energy and effort to drop into a space of wholeness when our system is trying to heal. Uh, and so the, what I have found is the more I practice being in a state of wholeness when things are going really well, the easier it is to find it again when things are unwell or ill, mm-hmm. if we will. Okay. So, so, so I'm going to dig, I'm going to dig deeper into this because I think this is interesting. Um, Wholeness would certainly be forced to include illness. Mm -hmm. So the idea, the idea of, of wholeness being a pulled away by illness is really more of a, it's really more a separation of, of your desires from mm-hmm. the, the actual experience. And I, yes. I think there's actually a, a really deep pathway into the acceptance of illness. Mm-hmm. Uh, the acceptance of illness is a very quick kind of an immediate transportation into an awareness of, of the full potentiality of, of being human. Um, mm-hmm. And it goes right back into your, your circular breath, which is that we are, we are pulling earth. We are taking earth. You are taking it in the form of breath, but we are literally constructing our physical bodies out of earth. And then the earth is essentially pulling our physical body back to it at every single breath we take is a, is a fight to stay active and to stay this separate entity that is not a part of the earth we're walking on but eventually the earth is going to win, right? Eventually we are, we are headed back to the, the mm-hmm. all of the nutrients we pulled from earth are going to be going right back into earth. And there, that is an eventuality that is that is hundred percent going to happen. And I think it is also a part of the wholeness of being human is that we, we quite literally will go through illness. We quite literally will go through death. We quite literally will go through breath. We will go through this like energetic struggle against this experience that is coming to us. But I, I find it important that when we talk about things like wholeness, we really give into the fact that that whole, wholeness, oneness includes everything, the good and the bad. And relenting uh, the fight against that is when I feel most at home and most at peace. Are you, would you agree with that? And if not, where, where, do, we, where do we have our differences? I would agree that I love this. I love these deep dives. And I love that you just go there. Because I'm not someone that walks on, I'm not someone that walks on eggshells around things. It's like, let's just go. 
Welcome to becoming legendary. <laughs> yes, I love this. Perfect. Thank you so much. My brain is like giddy right now. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm like, wow, it's been a long time since I've got to have this deep dive of a conversation. So I thank you because I love it. Uh, I think, yes, we are in agreement. And my clarification on that for myself would come from a place of saying the feeling of being whole versus honoring wholeness as the state of being that we are. Mm and being able to discern that. And so the, I completely agree with you that illness is a part of wholeness and it can actually be a really powerful part in bringing us back into the remembrance of being whole. And yeah. when I feel ill or unwell, I don't feel whole. And I think there's a discernment there between feeling and being um, and finding that, that space between the two and then as you've shared honoring all of it as a part of this totality of being human patrick patrick has some i don't want to <laughs> as you look at me patrick over there <laughs> i don't want to i don't want to throw you totally under the bus but but i'm going to <laughs> um so patrick had a, a period of his time where he was bed bedridden right for I don't, i'm not sure okay. the exact specific amount of time patrick but it was years, years. wasn't it yeah. yeah, a couple of years. Okay. So, so, so here's, I just want to get your perspective on that in that, in those, in that scenario, in that we've actually never talked about this specifically. So I'm curious myself, but in those, in those times when you were in your bed, did you feel like you were ever able to, or that there was any light at the end of the tunnel to get back to that wholeness or was the illness like, was the illness holding you down so much so that there was no sort of light at the end of the tunnel? How did you like, how did yeah. you come out of that with being, being so whole the way you are right now, brother? Like you are one of the most well-rounded people I've ever met. And you take the good and the bad, the happy and the sad, the wrong and the right, right? It's all blended together in your being. So, yeah. So I think it came, that. it came, this is the, this is the concept, right? I, I, for a lot of this time when I was sick and I was sick, I mean, I still, I still have ramifications from it, but I was like really sick for a decade and a decade out of a 26 year old person's life, 36 year old person's life is a really significant amount of time. Um, and for years I fought to get back to who I was. And while I was fighting to get back to who I was, I couldn't possibly be whole, right? And then the moment I realized, hey, the person who I was is not the person who I am. I am this person now, everything changed. And that included the fact mm -hmm. that, hey, I have limitations, right? Like there are things that there are things that I can no longer do. I no longer have a photographic memory. I no longer can only sleep an hour a night. Like there are, there are things that are, that are changed in my life. And would it be fun to go back Maybe. Yeah. Like I loved having those talents, but, um, I'm really happy with the person who I've become because of it. And, and it changed for me in the moment where I realized the person that I, that I used to be is gone. And the reality is, doesn't matter if you're sick or not. The person that you were a second ago is gone. The person that you were a year ago is gone. You're a different person. And, um, I think it's easy to get stuck fighting to get back into a place in time that you no longer have access to. And if that is your goal, you're going to be miserable because you'll never get there. Mm. Mm. I completely agree with you on that. Yeah. I'm curious because <laughs> I don't know a lot about your story. Yeah. <laughs> this is meant to be about you know, interviewing you on things, but I'm curious around when you knew 
like when you were laying in bed and you were bedridden and whatever illness ailments that your body was moving through how at what point did you surrender into it you know i i'm probably two hundred thousand dollars in uh several years of going to specialists and doctors and everyone essentially saying there's nothing and uh knowing exactly what was what was wrong with me right like I, i i didn't i couldn't figure out like what the pieces were that were creating the problem, but I knew the problem was there and there was no denying that the problem was there. So I, eventually it just became an acceptance of the fact that, hey, this is my responsibility. No one's gonna save, no one's gonna save me from this problem. Um, there is no way that someone else is gonna come up with a solution because no one else is gonna care about this problem as much as I do. And I mm-hmm. think at that point it was, well, let's just become the best version of who we can be right now. And every single day, it was like, can I get a little bit better? Can I get a little bit better? Can I get a little bit better? And um, so I don't know the exact timing, but I would say it took me, it definitely took me years. It definitely took me multiple years where I thought the next, the next trip to the doctor was going to be the one that like turned the switch. Mm-hmm. The next pill was going to be the one that turned the switch. Um, and finally, I'd done that enough where I was like, I know this pattern. This pattern is I go to the doctor, I pay them a bunch of money. They don't do a single thing. And then I go home and I have less money. <laughs> <laughs> Same symptoms. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. <clears throat> thank you for sharing. Yeah. Thank you, Patrick. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, but back I to think, our guest. <laughs> I, no, I think it ties in. I think it ties in perfectly. Cause I do think, yeah. um, there's, there's the word, there's the word association and there is the, the activity association with trauma. Mm-hmm. And um, trauma is something that I have defined as something you can tie a physical anchor to, right? It's an event, it's an event, it's an experience, it's a feeling. Um, but if you tie an energetic anchor to it, it will ground you in that point. And the, the quicker you are able to let that point go, the, the quicker you are able to let whatever horrible thing happened to you go, and realize that it is part of your life, but it doesn't have to be the defining feature of your life. Um, the quicker you're on the path to radness. <laughs> <laughs> how, do, how does that fit with your idea of trauma? It's yeah. very, it's very an atypical, it's an atypical experience or description of trauma. And I'm, uh, I'm more than aware yes, of that. I say, yes, and I don't know that it's that atypical. Um, I, you know, without being able to read a written, written definition that I've actually made for trauma in a program I wrote, but to me, it's unprocessed emotional experiences that are still causing us suffering right? and mm-hmm. in a short, shortest version ever, right? Because yeah. the trauma is not the event. It's the unprocessed emotion from the event itself that's still haunting us. Yeah. And so while the event could be long over, the emotion is still there as if it happened two minutes ago, two seconds ago, right now, right? And the emotional flashbacks for people are so real. And that's a term that when I first started studying PTSD and complex PTSD prior to my own diagnosis of it um, from doctors was nobody talked about emotional flashbacks. People talk about flashbacks, right? But emotional flashbacks are when your nervous system is perceiving an energy from something in the present moment that is unrelated to what's happening right now, but the emotion reminds your nervous system of what happened two years ago, five, 10, 20, 40, 80 years ago, whatever it is for someone. And the nervous system's perceiving that from a place of survival and safety. 
even if it doesn't fit the situation that's happening. So when I started studying more on complex PTSD through Pete Walker's work, Alice Miller's work, Dr. Ariel Schwartz's work, who's also in Colorado, um, was this deeper understanding that where some people might have these you know, flashbacks through nightmares or through actual feeling like they're back in the event that occurred, what a lot of people are suffering with are these emotional flashbacks. And that that's what's looping through them all the time and they can't function as well in day-to-day life. And I love Patrick that you're, you're, whether intentional or not, you're pulling this ocean metaphor of your, to use the word anchor and that it was like anchoring into that moment. <laughs> and the, as we complete the emotional experience, meet the unmet need that was unavailable at that time, the trauma fades. And I have found in the work that I've done for the past decade that what's fascinating to me is it's not even the event itself. So I'm a survivor of sexual trauma, of child abuse, of rape, of being drugged and left for dead. There's a lot. And what I found even in my own story and then with women I've worked with the past decade and I've worked with mostly women, some men, is it's not even that event and the undealt, the un processed emotions from the event it's also what didn't happen after Mm. and I find that to be so fascinating Mm. it was the unmet need after the event occurred Mm. that has caused so much suffering for people Mm. the unmet need of no one believed them the unmet need of no one was there to support me the unmet need of I told and they blamed me for it right so the what didn't happen actually also became a trauma so there's like this double layer in there at that same point in time And I know in some spiritual teachings, trauma and the sensations that it creates in our nervous system are pathways to remembered wholeness. And I use that term, and I love that you had pulled that at the beginning, Brian, because I think people forget, I forgot, I think we forget that we're whole. Mm -hmm. And we start identifying with all these many facets of our experiences of being human, instead of identifying as the source of love that we really are or the source of peace or joy or whatever that may be for you. And so the remembrance is a return to, and some teachings will say a return to wholeness. And I use the term remember, because I'm like, I feel like it's almost like we've been in a trance and we forgot. And for me, through my trauma journey recovery, it took me out of that trance-like state. And I finally woke up into being here and being fully present and available to experiencing being human. And that was terrifying for a long time. The experience, the experience of being present was terrifying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I didn't know what was going to come. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) And that in and of itself is the magic as well. Right, Kate? For sure. Yeah. It's such a polarity there. It's such a, all in that, all in that, in that moment, I, I, what keeps coming up for me is, 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 is the, the experience with, you know, for people that are listening to this podcast, I bring up my mother a lot because I'm, it's, it's a part of my journey. So um, with, with the trauma that happened there, one of, one of the biggest pieces that, that, that just, you just nailed it right on the head was, is what, what didn't happen after it was the it was as if I didn't understand that 
I wasn't ever going to see my mother again and that I was never going to have a relationship with. It was all these things that I was still in denial with, but, but I was not, I was not, I was not focusing on, on denial. I just, nothing happened. And it was intentionally like for me, like I didn't do anything on purpose because I didn't know what to do. So until I start, until I started to, to look at the things that I didn't do, like take time to grieve that, that was, that was a huge turning point for me was someone simply saying to me, like, it's okay for you to grieve about your dead mother, you know? So that like giving, giving someone permission to, to, to feel the feelings that they're feeling and allow them to be there is something that I would encourage or invite listeners to, to seek out because it's, it's a, it can, it can make a profound difference in someone's life. You name something so important is permission to feel. Yeah. And how other people are so uncomfortable with other people's feelings and the expression of those that it can almost like they don't know how to hold, we can use the word hold space or be present to or bear witness in, you know, someone Mm. else's grief. Mm. And if they're uncomfortable or what I'll say, have a dysfunctional relationship with their own grief, they certainly can't show up for you in yours. And grief is one of those bedrock emotions of trauma. It is always in embedded in there. And it's usually underneath even the shame layers that come with a lot of trauma for people. And I, I, my belief as a culture, we have a really unhealthy relationship with grief and not learning how to process it, not learning how to express it, not learning how to let it move. One of the things I invite my clients to do all the time when they're moving through a grief phase, like practice grieving. I said, what do you mean? And this is what happens. I'm like, put on a movie that you know is gonna make you cry. Like Marley and me for me, right? Dog dies in a movie and dog, yeah, sure. right? And so like, <laughs> like put what? on something that helps, you know, invoke that feeling of grief because you can also stop the movie. You're in control, yeah. right? You can turn it on. You can turn it off. You get to decide how much attention you're paying to it. So instead of the grief being this like all consuming veil of emotion, you now have some sort of separation to be able to decide how much of this can I hold today? Right. And we practice it to normalize it. It's part of why I love going back into that breath because every exhale is a death. It's a grief process. And if we can just normalize grief as an everyday part of being human, then it doesn't change the, you know, the depth of something so painful as losing your mother, but it certainly can teach us and our internal nervous system, how to manage it when it comes. Oh, I know how to move this. I know how to let myself cry. Mm -hmm. I know how to allow my stomach to turn and my chest to cave in and my toes to curl Mm -hmm. and my shoulders around because grief is so unbearable sometimes. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think it's, it's normalize these things. Let's normalize these conversations around emotions and the experiences and the sensations they create can be very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. I, um, yeah, there's, uh, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting a little emotional here myself because I can remember, um, 
several times being in your YTT teachings, right? And 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 there was there was pieces there was a piece that came up about the sutra. I remember one time, or there was a an instance where you were holding space for someone who was grieving really hard. Um, this was after class, but 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 things. What I'm trying to get at here is that no matter how much work you've done in this world, like like with a spiritual, physical, mental, all the things, right? I think there's all people need to understand that there's always room for more healing or more work to be done. I mean, because that's what I that's what kept coming up for me in those YTT things were those experiences were things I thought I'd moved past, things I thought I'd grieved about, and and those things continued to, to to come up. They continued to to show me where I needed to invest or my, yeah, invest my effort and energy into those practices. So I think it's really profound coming from someone like yourself who has done so much work, who has been in this, in this community, um, this yogic, I'll call it a yogic community, if you will. Um, and you're still like doing the work you're still, and it's just so, it's so beautiful to hear someone like you say, say these things that, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, that, that there is um, a, a you know, that wholeness that, that we can always come back to. Um, so, so thank you for, for, for being that, that, that bright light. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And <laughs> I, I say, I tell to myself all the time, I'm like, we always have work, more work to do where we're no longer a human. Like that's the yeah. way I look at it is yeah. like my work will be done when I'm not human anymore. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, that there's, and it, I think then there becomes this awareness of we, we can choose, at, and I think in time when we do the work and when it's not appropriate for us to do the work. And I, when I first started my healing journey, I was so immersed in it. And I had lived in so much suffering for so long. I just dove all the way in. I'm like, I'm not coming out until I have worked through so much of this darkness, meeting my own suicidal ideation thoughts, meeting my own shadows, my own grief, like the parts of me that didn't want to be here anymore, the parts that loved being, you know, being here on this existence. And then it was, you know, thankfully for some really good care teams, you know, that were there to support me and understanding that I understand now why people avoid their work and they don't do their inner work because of what it asks of them. You know, and, you know, Patrick, you named it before, like at some point you have to, no one's coming to save you. You have to find your way through this and no one's going to care as much as you're going to care. Mm. And that we all hopefully at some point make the choice to be here. And, but I also really, really understand and honor those that say, I can't recovery work. I can't show up like, it's just too hard right now because I'm barely making it. And I remember clients would be like, it's going to hurt to do this. And I'm honest with them. I said, absolutely. I said, but on the other side of that hurt is so much healing potential and a life that you could have never imagined because you've been seeing your life through the lens of trauma for potentially their life. And it's beautiful to see someone's, it's like their, their spirit opens back up again. They've called their, you know, soul back to themselves and their spirit opens up and their eyes are glowing and they're shining. And they're like, there's another way, right? There's another way to be in existence here. Mm -hmm. um, it's every single time. It just inspires me to like every, we don't know the sufferings people are carrying. 
and to be able to give someone even that inkling of hope to say, you know, there is potential for life to get even a little bit better is, I mean, to me, that's worth everything. Everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Continue to, to be the person you are, Kate. You're one of the leaders Thanks. in this, in this industry for that, for that, um, that paradigm for sure. Thank you. Yeah. You guys both both have mentioned or, or commented on this idea of, and I think this ties into to what you just said, Kate, um, inviting others to have feelings or, or mm -hmm. offering a space for others to have feelings. Can you think about that as a practicality? How, how for someone who may be a blockhead like me, how, how do you invite someone into the opportunity to express themselves through feelings with you? For me, I use body sensation. So we'll start with breath just to invite them to aware that they're breathing, that their breath is happening through them. And then they might, let's say I work a lot with anxiety because anxiety is everywhere. And so they'll talk about anxiety and then I'll ask them to share with me some of their symptoms of anxiety because everyone can name how anxiety presents in their body, right? Their throat feels like it's closing down. They get sweaty, their heart races, their stomach tightens, mm -hmm. they get dizzy or brain foggy, mm -hmm. you know, and then I'll invite this understanding that anxiety is a label for an experience of sensations within their body. Mm -hmm. And so I remove the story of the anxiety and I move them into the embodiment of the experience mm -hmm. so that it shifts the dialogue from, oh my gosh, I'm so anxious about this into my body is experiencing these sensations and those are really uncomfortable. And that's a yoga therapy yeah. approach to starting to dissolve the reason that anxiety is presenting. Instead of having someone go into what could be an hour long dialogue on the stories of their past, which maybe they have or have not told before, but the, in, in the work that I've done, the story often can help people stay stuck instead of resolving why they're feeling that way. So I'll use that, the embodiment of sensation as exploration. What if, what if you have this desire? Let's say, let's say you're out grabbing a cup of coffee, grabbing a cup of tea with someone, right? And they've they've launched into the beginning of the hour, hour long tale that you've all, you've, you've heard before, right? Like, you know, the beats of this story, you know, where it ends, you know, there's going to be one detail added on to this, this like historical story. What can someone do in, what could someone in that situation look to do that is both like acknowledging of the of the sensation the feeling and the emotion of the experience but also is progressive in or, or at least has a desire to be progressive in and moving forward really simple question that changed so much for my yeah. journey yeah. was what do you wish had had happened yeah what do you wish had happened instead because it changes the narrative. Wow. And in, or the second question to that could be, tell me the ending. Because normally when people are talking about their trauma, they don't give you the ending. They don't tell you how it ended. It yeah. just stops. It's like a dream when you wake up in the middle of it and you don't know how it ended. So it's like, what do you wish had happened? And tell me the ending. And that moves, it changes the narrative for them in beautiful ways. 
So yeah. we're completing, we're completing something. Yeah. It, it, that, that's, that's been left unopened with left, left unopened to use like a, um, a river this time, a body of water, like where it just flows, flows everywhere. You know, when you start to dam it up, you can, you can, you can start to control the energy. You can start to um, intentionally, um, you know, use the energy to, to either to heal or to, you know, like to, to function in, at, at a higher level. Is that, yeah. is that kind of accurate? Yeah, absolutely. And it, yeah. you know, and it's one of the first times I ever had to do this was in remembrance of losing my grandfather, my papa, when I was 10 and he was so important in my life, but I never got to say goodbye. And so I remember having dreams of like, I never got to say goodbye to him. My parents didn't want me going to the hospital. They didn't want me seeing him like that. And so there was this, there, there was a cutoff relationship that never got to end. And even though I have a very deep connection in spirit, I would, I finally gave myself permission to say goodbye. And so I remember going into a meditative state, imagining walking into the hospital, giving him a hug, letting him like saying goodbye and completing the energy. Okay. And so, because our, our nervous system doesn't know the difference between imagination or reality, right? So we can create that for ourselves. And it's a tool that's used in a lot of psychotherapeutic models is write the ending, right? Rewire it for yourself. Mm. And so when people are, you know, repetitive in telling their stories, first, I honor that something in them doesn't feel seen and heard in their story, or they wouldn't keep repeating it. And then there is something incomplete about it that they need to be able to take their power back from. So how, how would you want it to happen? And what was the ending? Let's write one. Let's write one. Over, over tea. Over tea. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick, you, you're, you're cranking over there, man. Yeah, Go he's ahead. Got stuff, he's got stuff going. <laughs> <laughs> it's fair. Um, I think I've been thinking about a very similar thing, which is like in conflict, right? In conflict, the, the quickest way to resolution of conflict is to ask, what is it you want, right? They, okay, that's, how do we end the conflict? Well, we decide what you want. And once, once we know what you want, you already know what you want. So what, once you have the two wants on the table, it's, pretty, it's much easier to progress. Um, and you use the word seen and heard and I wonder how, you know, I think that those are pretty good buzzwords in the moment, but mm -hmm. I wonder how much um, impact we could have on our friends, the people, our loved ones, the people around us, if we ask those questions more often, right? Like, what is the thing that you want to be seen for? What is the thing that you want heard in this moment? Um, those two pieces, those two pieces, how, how much focus do you think should be put into, so we're, we're back at that, that teacup, right? We're sitting in front of a tea. <laughs> how much focus of like trying to heal somebody do you think should be put into this idea of seen and heard versus because I think that especially from, from a masculine energy, there is a desire from a masculine energy to be like, here's a solution, right? Like, I, I get it, I hear it, here's a solution. And that may not be at all what is wanted in the experience. Um, but how much energy do you think 
is being put towards the idea of seen and heard in everyday typical conversation. I recognize that it's hard for you to take yourself out of your world and your world is almost certainly more in the seen and heard place than a normal American. But how much, how much do you think is being put in the seen and heard bucket and how much should be put in the seen and heard bucket among friends and loved ones? Great question. Great question. Um, I would say very little is probably being put in that bucket and a lot more is needed. Um, coming from, coming from, so I've been married since, oh gosh, I've been married 18 years with my husband for 20 years. And we have been through all of it, I mean, all of it. And, and, you know, at the point of separation at one point, ready, who's moving out and, you know, fortunately was able to find our way through all this. But my husband is by nature, a fixed safe and rescuer, right? And it was when I was in the throes of my recovery and we were navigating how some of his behavior patterns were enabling some of my trauma patterns and separating that and me having to say to him, I need you to stop doing this because I can't get better if you keep trying to save and rescue me in this. And then it came to a dialogue of, well, what is my role for you in this relationship if you don't need me to fix, save, or rescue you, right? And so he had to go through his own trauma journey and rediscovering himself because I wasn't the wife that needed him to save me anymore. And he wasn't the masculine that needed me to be broken for him to feel good about himself. And so it, we had to do this dance of learning how to communicate again. And I tout Gottman work for a lot of that and giving us different languaging in healthy relational and emotional communication. But what I came to realize then take us out of our little family unit and me out of this therapy world and into even just extended family and seen and heard is not an experience that is relatively available. And I feel that it can be something where even a little bit of awareness that someone is actively listening and instead of telling them what to do, instead of sharing, you know, I hear what you're saying, you wish so-and-so would have treated you better in that conversation or email through work. And they look at you funny. Yeah. Right? They look at you like, yeah. huh? What, like, what just happened? Yeah. Like, like because they're, they're, I think people are inherently used to someone saying, well, this is what I think you should do. This is how I think you should handle it. Yeah. And I think it goes back to what we were saying before of other people's discomfort with someone else having an emotional experience. 100%. And, and if they can't sit with someone in a moment of like, I was really hurt by what someone said, they're going to tell them what to do mm. because then we feel useful. Mm. Right? Mm. And, but it's a delicate dance. And I am, I am the anomaly in my husband's family, for sure. Mm -hmm. right? I am the one that is like showing up in a very different way. Mm -hmm. And even on a, you know, at this past Christmas holiday, a friend of someone else was there at our celebration and she was deeply suffering over something. And I caught wind of the conversation in the kitchen and I was in there grabbing some water and I, my therapy years went on mm. and other people walked away from her after she had shared something really painful. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is fascinating. You know, that not from a place of judgment, but that they, they don't have the capacity to bear witness to this pain. Mm. 
And so I leaned in and I said, you know, I'm so sorry that this has been your experience. And I empathized and I went into compassion and she looked at me with tears in her eyes. And she's like, you are my Christmas angel tonight. Hmm. And I said, well, I'm grateful to hear that you feel seen and heard. And she's like, that has so much power. And I'm like, yeah. And other family members were around like, what is just happening? And to the point of where later one came up to me and she's like, I had thought about having her reach out to you. I don't know how you do that. And I said, it's, it's a learned skill. It's not something I was, I I didn't grow up that way. That was not a skillfulness Mm. that came from my family of origin by any means, but I do wonder what it would be like for a world where people show up for each other in a way that says, I'm not here to have to fix or save you. I'm here to walk with you. And that walking with is enough. I don't know. It's a curious thing. It's a, it's a curious thing. And and I, I don't know what it is with the holidays, but we played a, a Christmas experiment this year that I have to share. That's very much in similar in line with kind of the experience that you shared. And so we, our Christmas celebrations are filled with, well, I'm not sure who's listening to this, but I'm going to be, I'm going to be completely honest because that's, that's my mission here in this, in this, in this forum. So, so we have, they're, they're filled with distractions, right? They're filled with like, whether the food can be a distraction, whether the movie is a distraction, whether we play cards, whether we, it's just, it's just one distraction after the next. So I, so we just, my, my father had a really serious bout with COVID recently. He's well now, uh, but he was touch and go there for a while. So we didn't know if he was going to make it quite to be honest. So, so before we had dinner, everyone had their, their, their plates made and we sat around and we normally say grace and my grace, I, I, I decided to say grace this year. So, so the grace that I decided to say was silence. I didn't say anything. And um, the silence carried on for, I don't know, two or three minutes. And I looked up and I had, I had my, what my, my wife, my, my dad's partner was in tears. My mother-in-law was also in tears. Um, and I, and I, and then I, and then I, and then I said, and I, and I said this, very, very bluntly. I said, can we all breathe into the life that we're experiencing now? We were holding hands and we take a big breath into the nose and we'll let it go. And then in that, as soon as we let go of the breath, Jay, I'll leave the names out. My dad's partner and my mother-in-law got up and left the table. I couldn't handle the um, non-distraction, the silence, the, the, the presence that was there. And so I went over to them and I, and I gathered them back. We all went around the table and we had a nice conversation about why we felt uncomfortable, but being seen and heard, it was, it was an ode to life, right? It was an ode to bleeding out the distractions. And can we all just sit and breathe together if it's just one breath? And so that was a really, really powerful moment um, in, in my family experience really recently that allowed like there, there can be a, the person can be seen, cannot feel seen or heard or be seen or heard. There's also like an experience that, that either needs to be seen or heard or not seen or heard. Right. So we just shed some light onto that experience that everyone needed to grieve or just focus on for a little bit. And it was my Christmas this year was beautiful. And they always, they always haven't been beautiful in the past for whatever reasons, but, but this year was particularly connected. So I have to, I have to believe that a lot of that came from 
shedding some light on, on the, this traumatic experience that we all went through. Um, it, it provided an opportunity for us to, to elevate and move above and beyond um, that situation. So uh, I just wanted to share that. That is made it beautiful. Yeah. I guess wow. I was doing some trauma work that I didn't even know I was doing. <laughs> yeah. Talk about a cycle breaker in your family. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was pretty profound. And also having that understanding of some people that the silence is so uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable. Yeah. So uncomfortable. And I, I read something that my ego took a big hit on a lot, on and off over many years was why wouldn't someone want to be with themselves? Why wouldn't someone want to sit and meditate? Why, you know, all the judgment that I had of others, why wouldn't, why wouldn't, why wouldn't? And then, you know, I, I feel there's such a humbleness and like, it's like a, falling to your knees, literally figuratively around other people's suffering and pain and not judging it, you know, and that there's no interest in judging because uh, we understand now that everyone is simply doing the best that they can in those moments. In those moments. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. Wow. I want to give the platform really quickly to you, Miss Kate, because I'm excited to hear about your book. I don't want to switch gears completely, but I think we just downshifted. <laughs> so um, tell me about the book you just released. Tell me about the motivation behind it. Tell me about um, tell me about the writing process. I want to know more about that because I, I know that I haven't pre-ordered one, but I expect one in the mail. So <laughs> well, the pre-order is the pre-order is closed. The book <laughs> is set to publish cross our fingers. I don't have a, a firm publishing date for publisher yet, but we're looking at around spring equinox. I want the energy of the birth, the book to birth with spring because it's so much about renewal and restoration. This book has been in process for probably seven years over many drafts started thrown out, drafts started thrown out. And so the current manuscript is started in January of 2020 before we even knew COVID was happening. Wow. And, um, the original first, you know, probably 80 some pages were written in a hotel room in Sedona by myself. I took myself away on retreat to just that. go write yeah. because I knew the depth of the pain that I was going to be writing about. And I knew that I couldn't show up as a mom and a wife while writing all of this. It was like, I need to get away and I need to go somewhere where I feel really sacred and um, wrote and wrote and wrote. And it took until earlier this year to finish the full manuscript because there was there were so many so many things that I wanted to share but then pieces of it that as I would write it and it would flow and it's such a spiritual thing to write and uh, the book takes you on a journey really starting from 2016 and then back in time to early childhood and then forward into mid 2018 uh, and it's a journey of me shifting my whole internal landscape from trauma to truth. And when I use the word truth, it's aligning myself with love. The name of the mm -hmm. book is I'm strong enough now, God, thanks. thanks. And it has a twofold <laughs> meaning, which first is meant to be kind of sarcastic because the nature of the title in 2016, when I was in prayer, I was praying to God. I'm like, I want to feel strong. <laughs> what I meant was like physically fit. Okay, that's what I meant. <laughs> what I said was, I want to feel strong. Yeah. And so what came to be was the dropping in to what you could call the dark night of the soul. In the book, I refer to it as illumination of the light in my heart. It was like, finally, the light went on. 
And when the light went on, everything that was in the dark had to start being looked at. And so it takes you on this really intense journey. I just like when I talk, I don't hold anything back when I write. So it's raw, it's real, it's vulnerable. There's some pretty intense scenes that I talk about in there. Um, and one of the biggest pieces of understanding for myself in walking through this journey of trauma was the underlying cause of so much of my suffering was due to an inconsistent emotional environment in my childhood home. And where I had these, what we could call capital T, big T traumatic experiences, there was a chronic level of emotional trauma occurring every day in my life. And that was the developmental trauma piece. And then it like layered in scaffolding of big T traumas. So my nervous system had developed in fear in this energy of the world and life is not safe. And I certainly had a lot of things that could prove that as true. Mm -hmm. And in digging in and doing this work and in writing through the book and a lot, five years of weekly trauma therapy, and then some for myself and understanding that at some point I had to make a choice between who I was and who I'm becoming and being more curious about who I was becoming instead of this person I had been. So it goes back to what Patrick was saying before, is I wasn't that 35-year-old woman or 30-year-old woman or 25-year-old or 17-year-old. That wasn't who I was anymore. But there was so much incomplete things from those times that had to come into the present moment for me to move forward. Mm. And the book also weaves in scriptural teaching from yoga and from Jesus. My relationship with him is part of what's gotten me through all of this. Mm. And understanding that when we align our lives with truth and we start believing in what I'll say, who God says you are, you are able to start looking at all the ways you've believed false identity of yourself. Mm. And the book takes you through this beautiful journey, uh, painful journey, one that's really what I believe it's hope inspired and helps those who are walking a journey of recovery see that their experience are very personal for themselves, but that the energy of trauma is not unique, meaning we've all walked a journey of pain mm -hmm. in some way and no one's is worse than another. And the comparison of all of that is what breeds so much more suffering Hmm. My trauma is worse than yours. Yours, oh gosh, yeah. you know, well, that didn't happen to me. It's like, none of that matters, yeah. right? So it's just, to me, it's all about showing up with a compassionate heart. And the book really has a compassionate heart. Um, I'm excited for it to come out. It feels like this huge pregnancy that has had now taken on a life of its own, like a baby births when it's ready. And, you know, there's been such a crazy experience of when I first sent it to an editor and things that had happened. And so it's editing didn't begin till three months after what I thought it was going to begin and having to change editors. And I mean, it's just been like this whirlwind of a process. Um, and I'm right now process of finalizing edits to send it back to the editor for its final flush through for a publication. So it's, it is, I, I didn't understand what authors say when they're like, it will rock you to your core to write your story. And again, it's like being gut like a fish and everything having to just start to be looked at. Yeah. And then it, you know, and then you start realizing every little piece of the puzzle is so 
ordainly designed if we can see it from that place of light, Mm. you know, and being in that place now to see while I don't believe I had to go through the experiences that I went through, I'm not someone that believes in everything happens for a reason. Mm. I believe every response happens for a reason. Mm. And in that response is our power. And that through that is where we really claim our right to create a life that we love. So that's what I hope the book brings is a sense of hope and inspiration. And hopefully for someone out there, it helps them know they're not alone. And there are ways through this. Hope, faith, and love. That's, um, I could listen to you talk for hours. Keep going. (laughs) You know, I can talk. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so grateful to have been on here with you guys. This is wonderful. We're yeah, enjoying thanks. it too. Yeah. Thanks for this is, making uh, this time happen for sure. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. It's such a gift. Thank you. It was such a divine answer. I was in my prayer. I'm like, all right. Like, and then Brian reached out. How cool is that? Yes. <laughs> you answered a prayer, Brian. Yes, I did. So cool Thank that, right? That's pretty cool. That's right? pretty cool. God uses people. It's like, if we don't do what we're being called to do, someone's prayer goes unanswered. That's it. That's the way I look at it. Exactly right. Kate, if somebody has interest in in, um, being a part of your book right now, is there something they can do or are they on hold until the spring now? Um, What I would recommend is that they send my assistant an email and we can certainly go about making sure they get on that list for when it does publish. So it's admin at kateship, K-A-T-E-S-H-I-P-P, two P's like pumpkin. That's what I have to say. Otherwise I get other words. <laughs> so admin at kateship.com and you can just put in the subject line book pre-order and we'll see what I can do for that. All right. I will um I'll put that in the show notes. So the email address will be in the show notes. Um yeah. Brian, it sounded like you had one last question. I do. It's 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 my it's my standard like to go question. I, I really I really think this is um I'm I'm curious about what people say. So I'm going to ask it to you again, um, or to you for the first time. So in your life, um, what has had the biggest impact things you have said yes to, or things you have said no to? Wow. What a good question. Um, the things I have said no to have had the greatest impact because as someone who was codependent and a people pleaser, uh, learning to say no was when I finally started choosing me and my well-being first. Mm-hmm. So it shifted my whole ability to show up differently in relationships because I wasn't trying to earn my worthiness anymore. Yeah. So saying no was terrifying. And at the same time, finally felt like I'm claiming my life back. It's okay to say no, folks. Like, listen, no. yeah, listen to this this medicine that Kate is so genuinely delivering for you all. Thank you. Thanks, you guys. Yeah, thank you, Kate. Such a joy. Thank you. Yeah. This totally made my day. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Kate, we love you too. Yeah. Have a beautiful rest of your um of your Thursday. I think it is. Yeah, it's Thursday. Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. And many many blessings and prosperity to each of you. Thank you. You as well, Kate.
Appreciate you, Kate. Thank you. Thank you, Kate. Thanks. So much love. Take care.